A-Gage, um, and Dustin and I have been friends for quite a while, but uh, he actually grew up with my wife, Becky, uh, who is here with us today in Muleshoe, uh, so she might could tell you a story or two about him if you, know, you want to talk to her after the service. Um, but uh, I am an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church. I'm on a leave of absence right now, and so I'm going to be teaching junior high English at Throckmorton Junior High uh, this year. So that'll be a ministry all in of itself. But I've taught junior high English before, so I, I, I think I can handle uh, I'm all, I'll be filling in for uh, pastors around our district as they had need to have time off, uh, so I'll be in ministry in that way as well. Uh, once I already mentioned my beautiful wife, Becky, is here, and my two daughters, Hannah and Briley, who are equally beautiful, are here as well, and so uh, I'm glad that they're here with us uh, this morning as well. If you would, please turn in your Bibles, or you can look along on the screen if you'd like to, to, to a couple of passages in the Gospel of Luke. The first is Luke 14, verses 1 through 6. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asks the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. And then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. Then in Luke chapter 13, we find this passage in verses 10 through 17. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. And the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, the daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? And when he said this, all of his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And Father, now I just ask that my words would be yours and that you would open our hearts to receive them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I included these two stories because I wanted you to, to be reminded that the first one didn't happen in a vacuum. That there were times, many times throughout the gospel accounts when Jesus went against the standard norms, broke the rules, so to speak, in order to share the gospel, in order to show the love of God to the people. A law student recounted a quote from one of his professors. The law intends to serve as a shield to protect people, but lawyers will readily use the law as a sword to pierce them. 
I think over time that those of us who would say we were religious might have done the same thing with God's law, have we not? We wonder why it is that so many people aren't in church this day. And if Abilene is like the other communities that I've served in, probably about two-thirds of Abilene is not actively involved in a church on any given Sunday morning. Why is that? Now, I know there's not a simple answer to that question, or we all would have figured it out by now. There's many reasons. But one of the reasons that a lot of people distance themselves from the church and from Christianity is because at one point in time, they've had a very negative experience with the church. When I was teaching up in the Texas Panhandle, I taught at a small school and also served as the youth minister of the Methodist Church there. And the first um, day of school this one year, uh, I ended up with a guy in my English class uh, who was, in the words of all of the teachers he had had before, incorrigible. Meaning he couldn't do anything with this kid. He was trouble with a capital T. He was constantly in the principal's office. He was constantly failing all of his classes. He was constantly bullying other kids. He was trouble. But for some unknown reason, he took a liking to me. And we developed a a bit of a relationship in those first uh, few days of school. And I ended up not having nearly the trouble with him that all the other teachers did. And as the the school year progressed and I got to know this kid more and more and to see the brokenness in his life and the brokenness in his family, uh, I began to reach out to this kid and and just invite him to come to our youth group. Every single week, I invited him to come. And about eight weeks into the school year, on a Sunday night, lo and behold, this kid comes into our church and comes to youth group. Man, I was pumped. I was so excited. And the kids that were there, oh, they were awesome. They welcomed him in. They didn't, they didn't judge him. They, didn't, uh, uh, they included him in everything we were doing. And we would have a meal together in the fellowship hall. And we'd play some games. And we'd have a lesson. And during the meal, one of my volunteer youth sponsors went over to this kid and basically chewed him out in front of everybody for wearing his hat in the fellowship hall. Now, needless to say, this young man was humiliated and he was embarrassed. And I noticed that as we transitioned from our meal time to the game time, he just kind of slipped out the door and left. You can guess whether or not he came back to youth group or not. He didn't. He didn't. Now, was that rule set in stone in Scripture thousands and thousands of years ago? Thou shalt not wear your hat in the fellowship hall. You know, no, no, it wasn't. And this kid, he wasn't a believer. He didn't know the traditions. He didn't know anything about Christianity whatsoever. He didn't know the rules to begin with. But don't we do that sometimes, guys? We expect non-believers to live up to the same standards we do. 
and follow the same rules that we follow. And when they don't, we judge them. We think, well, those are those people. We don't hang around with those people. Folks, that's not fair. It's not fair to judge non-believers by the same standards that we live by because they don't know the standards. They don't know the rules. Why should they follow the rules when they don't even believe? And I think sometimes we do it without even thinking about it. I mean, remember when you came to Jesus. Maybe it was when you were a teenager. Maybe it was at a summer camp. Maybe it was when you were an adult. I don't know when it was for you. But you, you come to know Jesus, and he radically changes your life. And what do you do? Well, you start getting your act together, right? Yeah, you start, you start coming to church. You, you join the Sunday school class, the small group. You help out with VBS. You take the kids to summer camp. You get plugged in, and you get busy, and you get to serve, and, and you get to be friends with all the other Christian people who are in your group and at your church, and you start hanging around with them. And you begin to slowly distance yourselves from the, the people and places and things that were a part of your life before Christ, Right? And you don't intentionally do this sometimes, but over the course of time, you finally find yourself in this nice, comfortable Christian bubble, right? Where everybody you know, everybody you're friends with dresses like you, believes like you, raises your kids like you, goes to the same church that you go to, and everything's nice and everything's comfortable, and we tell ourselves and we tell our kids sometimes we don't want to hang around with those kids or with those people because they might drag us down or there might be a bad influence on us. And so we end up, if we're not careful, not having any kind of truly meaningful relationships with people who are not Christian. I get it. I've done it. I'm stepping on my own toes here. We've done it. I still struggle with it sometimes. But folks, is this the gospel? Is this the gospel that we're supposed to separate ourselves away from the world and get in a nice, comfortable place where we can just take care of ourselves and our own and not have to worry about the world? More on that in a little bit. And I'd like to let that percolate in your soul for a little while. You know, we hear many times in the gospel accounts where Jesus gets in trouble for healing on the Sabbath, doing something he's not supposed to do on the Sabbath day. What was the big deal about the Sabbath day anyway? Well, it was a command, you know, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, for in six days God created the world and on the seventh day he rested, so we are to keep it holy and rest on that day. So yeah, it was a command, and yeah, we're supposed to honor that. But over time, the, the people who were trying to follow it began to wonder, well, what exactly does that mean? I mean, what can we do? What can't we do? What are, what are the rules about the Sabbath? And so they began to make these big, long lists of things that you could do and things you couldn't do on the Sabbath. Let me tell you, folks, I'm glad we don't follow those rules. I mean, if you're an Orthodox Jew right now, living in this day and time, these are some, just a few of the things that you cannot do on the Sabbath. You can't write anything, you can't erase anything, and you can't tear anything. You can't do any kind of a business transaction. 
You can't even drive or ride in cars or other vehicles. You can't go shopping. You can't use the telephone. You can't turn on or off anything that uses electricity, including the lights, the radios, the television, the computer, air conditioners, or alarm clocks. You can't cook. You can't bake. You can't even make a fire. You can't garden. You can't mow the lawn. Guys, you might like that one. I might could follow that one on a Sunday. I don't know. And you can't even do the laundry. Ladies, you might like that one too. Hope that wasn't too sexist for you. <laughs> I know my girls mow the lawn, by the way. You know, So, I mean, it's not like, you know, it's just the guy or girl thing. Don't, don't, don't go off on that one, okay? But folks, is our faith, is our Christianity really about just keeping all the rules, checking things off as we go? following all the rules, and even those unwritten rules, right? We all know them. I loved, I loved when I asked Dustin, I said, Dustin, what's the dress code for your services? Because as a guest pastor, you don't want to offend anybody. And he says, well, the, the traditional service usually wear a suit and tie or a robe, and uh, we don't really have one for the contemporary service. And I was like, hey, that's cool. <laughs> I mean, I like that. You know, there's not a, but, but hasn't that been an issue in the past in church? I mean, you got to dress a certain way, right? That's kind of one of those unwritten rules. Somebody comes in who's never been in church in their life, and they're not dressed the way they're supposed to be dressed. What, you know, it's not like, oh, I'm so glad in your church, you're in church today. It's just, did you see what they were wearing? And My goodness, you don't wear that to church. You know, they don't know, and yet we're judging them by that same, the standards that we're trying to live by. You know, something we, we easily forget is the big picture of what's constantly happening in the gospel accounts that we're reading. Jesus is constantly in the process of making and developing disciples. And the overwhelming way we tend to read the gospels is through the lens of salvation. And that's true. That is a good way to read it because salvation is a key element in the gospels, but it's not the only element in it. Because you think about it, why are we still here? I mean, if, if, if it was just about salvation, God just takes us up to heaven after we get saved. I mean, what's the point of sticking around? No, we're here to make disciples. We're here to be examples. We're here to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the lost people in the world. And you see, as you read these stories of how Jesus interacts with people, you see that he isn't just proclaiming the gospel. He isn't just teaching the gospel. He's doing the gospel. He's living the gospel. This is huge. We have to get this. It's not just about what we say. It's about what we do. Now back to this scene from Luke. Remember, Luke was a medical doctor. And so he presents this impossible situation, one that no doctor could solve. This poor woman had been crippled, bent over from the waist down like this for 18 years. 18 years. Luke tells us that she had been crippled by a spirit. And what that tells us is that this woman in that culture, in that day, was a person of no status whatsoever. 
In those days, people believed that if you were crippled by something like this, if something happened to you, maybe you were struck blind or, or something like that, that you had, called, you had done something. You had sinned against God in some way, and uh, this was your punishment. You were getting what you deserved. And so people would treat you as an outcast. They wouldn't have anything to do with you. She was regarded as lost and worthless. And she would have been virtually invisible to the society around her. People would have looked past her, looked over her, not even acknowledged her presence. She was literally nobody in that culture. But here it comes. Did you hear it in the passage? When Jesus saw her, When was the last time she had really been seen by anybody? Jesus saw her. He acknowledged her presence. Can't even imagine how much that must have meant to her, just that. To have the teacher acknowledge her presence. Truth is, if Jesus hadn't seen her, we probably wouldn't be talking about her. She would not have been mentioned But Jesus is actually creating an unforgettable moment here. Whatever Jesus was teaching at the time, he just changed the lesson plan. We have any teachers in here? Have you ever changed the lesson plan right in the middle of a lesson? You know, we all have. Sometimes you just got to do that. It's funny to me, you know, Jesus didn't get invited to teach at the synagogues very often. I mean, I don't know. This may be the only time it's recorded where, you know, they invited him to preach. You know, that just didn't happen very often. And I would think, wouldn't you, that if he got to teach in the synagogues, that what he was teaching was probably pretty important stuff? But did you notice in this account, the disciples don't even record what the lesson was? We have no idea what he was teaching before he saw this woman. But whatever it was, it wasn't as important as her. And if you watch what Jesus does throughout the gospel accounts, he does this over and over and over again. He seems to systematically be going to all the people who had been devastated by the Pharisees, Sadducees, religious elites, sword-like application of the law. And when he goes to those people, he doesn't bring judgment. He brings love. He brings grace. He brings hope. He brings mercy. He brings salvation. There's a major learning to be had here. And I'll just be blunt with it. Consider this. To the extent we don't see and love the broken and hurting and lost among us, we don't see and love God. To that extent, our religion is little more than a policy manual and a rule book. To the extent our hearts are hardened toward the poor, they are hardened toward God. Proverbs 17.5 says, those who mock the poor insult their maker. And in the final analysis, Jesus will say, as you have done it unto the least of these, you have done it unto me. I think the final point I'd like to make relates back to the point on how Jesus makes disciples. 
it's not just about what we say. It's about what we do. Jesus was his own practical application. He was the word made flesh. And this is the big lesson for disciples and disciple makers. People may not remember what you say, but they will always remember what you do. Your life is the lesson. Your life is the lesson. And if you want any further clarity on this, consider the words of Jesus himself. And you say it every single Sunday morning here, which is awesome. Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. So what am I saying to you today? I'm not saying to ignore the rules. Okay, kids, sorry. I'm not saying ignore the rules. There are rules and commands for a reason, and we do need to strive and follow them each and every day to the very best of our ability. But what I am saying is don't let the rules be a stumbling block to loving your neighbor and helping them learn the way. Don't hold non-believers to the same standard you hold yourself to. It isn't fair, and it hinders your witness. You know, a great way to have handled that situation in our youth group would have been for myself, who didn't even notice the kid had his hat on, or for one of my sponsors to go over to that kid in private during the games or something and say, hey, you know, at our, you know, we're glad you're here. We're so glad that you've come and been a part of our youth group. I just want to let you know, you know, something that we do here is that when we come into the church, we take our hats off. And just, and just explain the rule to the kid. I mean, I'm sure he would have been cool with that. I'm sure you would have been cool with that. And then lastly, I would like to challenge you to seriously take a look at your circle of influence. Look at the people that you are in relationships with and ask yourself this question. Are you in relationships with any non-Christians to the extent that you can share your faith with them? Do you know someone who is not a believer well enough that you would feel comfortable talking to them about Jesus? And if you're not, why not? Because if we don't share our faith, then who's going to? Another way to look at this, when was the last time you witnessed somebody? When was the last time you actually talked to somebody about Jesus Christ. You know, why else are we here? I promise you it's not to just live in our comfortable little bubble. We're supposed to be making disciples. And I'll close with this passage of scripture, 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. So as we come to the table today, and we share in Holy Communion, I'd just like to invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. 
And maybe the Holy Spirit's gonna bring to you faces and names of people who might be someone that you might need to witness to. And so maybe you need to pray that God would give you the strength, that God would give you the words, that God would provide the opportunity for you to begin to share your faith. Maybe you need to find some people to witness to because everybody you run around with believes the same thing you do. You don't know any non-Christians anymore. And so they're out there, promise you, Pray that God will begin to, to lead them and your paths will cross and so that you can start to develop those relationships that can lead to a point where you can witness. Ponder that. Pray about that as you come and take communion uh, this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come into your house. We thank you for your word, Lord, even when your word is tough. And we admit, Lord, that we like to be comfortable. We like to just have things the way we want them to be and, and be around people who think like we do and do things like we do. And we just want to, sometimes we get selfish and we just want to take care of ourselves and our family and we don't want to worry about anybody else. But that's not why we're here. You called us here to be witnesses. You called us here to, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those who are lost, with those who are hurting, with those who live lives, lifestyles that we don't like and we don't agree with, and that's messy. And I know it's hard. So Lord, I just pray that you would give us the strength to step out of that comfort zone that we find ourselves in and begin to, to get into the mess like Jesus did, to truly see people who might be hurting and lost and to begin developing relationships with them so that we can share your love with them. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.